If you want change to happen, and if you want people to get excited about it, you need to get buy-in from the community members. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I am Molly of Molly Knuth Media and the host of Small Minded. And this is one of my absolute favorite formats of the podcast. But after I looked back at the archives, we haven't done this in six months. You guys, this is Mailbag 4.0. So over the last few weeks, I have been soliciting questions on my Instagram at Small Minded Podcast and at Molly Knuth Media and on Facebook. And you guys showed up this round. This is the most number of questions we've ever had submitted. So We are going to dive right into our question and answer segment in this mailbag format right after a word from our very first sponsor. I don't want a lot for Christmas this year, but if I could get a little help around the house or with my holiday prep, that'd be great. (laughs) Thankfully, my friend Lindsay at Chilled Freezer Meals has my back. Not only does she make mealtime and snack time more convenient with her fully frozen meals for local pickup and home delivery to communities throughout eastern Iowa, but she also ships meal bundles nationwide. And this holiday season, she also offers gifting options for those on your holiday shopping list. Check out the new Chilled Favorites Bundle, packed with five of Chilled's best-selling meals. The Favorites Bundle includes her barbecue cheddar meatloaves, mini lasagnas, breakfast burritos, a Knuth family favorite, Tuscan chicken pasta, and Parmesan meatball bake. Perfect for those who want to give the gift of time and ease this holiday season. Plus, you'll be supporting the local small businesses and farmers that Chilled sources from in their recipes. Got a new mama on your list? Shop Chilled's new mama meal bundle with single-serve meals and soups, protein cubes, lactation granola, and new mom affirmation cards to help make the transition into motherhood a little easier. And for those on your hard-to-shop-for list, Chilled also offers digital gift cards so they can choose their own meal delivery at a later date. Listeners of the Small-Minded Podcast can visit chilledfreezermeals.com slash pages slash small-minded to shop these options and more during the holiday season. And to sweeten the deal, first-time customers can get 10% off their order by using promo code SMALLMINDED. Again, that's chilledfreezermeals.com slash pages slash SMALLMINDED. And for you first-timers, you can get that 10% off of your first order by using promo code SMALLMINDED. Psst. And if you'd like to hear a little more about Lindsay's story and how she's grown chilled as her business Head to episode 56 of Small Minded. Okay, question number one. How do you grow a local following on Instagram? 
So I would suggest a few different strategies, and strategy is just a fancy word for a step that you take. So a couple different strategies can help you gain local traction. First up, whenever you are putting a post out, there is a section of the post creation that allows you to tag your location. So what I do anytime I'm posting, particularly for those businesses who really have a local footprint, so I'm talking about like restaurants or um, service providers that have a particular service radius, those are really location bound. And so I love to put that location tag on there. And you can do that in a variety of ways. Sometimes if you have a physical storefront, you can put your exact address so people know exactly how to find you. They can find directions, things like that. Other times I just put the city and state, sometimes just the state, or sometimes it's a region like Midwest. So by doing that, you can start to get some traction and found via the location tags that you're using. The other thing you can do when you're actually putting a post out is making sure that you are using hashtags that have to do with your location. So let's go back to that example about a restaurant. When I am using or putting out a post for a restaurant, I'm going to use a variety of hashtags that are region specific. So let's say I am advertising for a restaurant in my hometown of Cascade. So I could use a hashtag Cascade, Iowa, hashtag Iowa restaurant, hashtag Dubuque, Iowa, because that is a bigger area that's not too far away. So people could easily drive to our restaurant in Cascade. And if they're searching or they follow Dubuque, Iowa on hashtags, then they can maybe see our post come up as part of that hashtag group. I might also do different like branded hashtags, if you will. So going back to that example of Dubuque, Iowa, they have hashtag Dubuque, Iowa, hashtag Dubuque, IA, hashtag Dubuque, but they also have some branded hashtags like hashtag where Iowa started that was coined by their Chamber of Commerce and Tourism Bureau. So look at and research a little bit about branded hashtags in the area that you serve and start incorporating some of those hashtags into the posts. That doesn't mean you have to include every single location hashtag and use up all 30 hashtags in every post with location tags. No. It just means like as you create posts, you want to sprinkle some of those location tags in there so that you can find people in your area. The other thing I really like to do as a strategy to gain local following on Instagram is planning out content, particularly in stories on Instagram, that take me to places in my local area that others are going to recognize. And then I make sure I use that sticker that allows me to tag that business. And then there's also a sticker that allows you to tag a location. So it's just knowing ahead of time and maybe having a little foresight into what you want to talk about in the upcoming days and weeks so that you can incorporate, especially if you're in growth phase, other businesses and brands. Because when you're in stories at someone's location and you tag their business, they can reshare it to their own stories. So for example, there's a boutique in my hometown that has thousands and thousands of followers. So if I'm shopping in there over the weekend, maybe I just take a quick picture of myself shopping there or a short video of a new display that they have. And then in my Instagram stories, I'll put it up there and I'll say, love shopping local. And then I tag Eloise Ray. So then maybe Eloise Ray would see that I tagged them and they would then share it to their stories, therefore putting my business on the map for their thousands of followers. 
So those are strategies that you can use if you are growing your presence locally on Instagram. So using the location tag in posts, using hashtags that are specific to your town, nearby communities, your state, your region, especially making sure to research if there's any branded hashtags for those areas. And then lastly, making sure that you're planning out some content, especially if you're in growth phase, that allows you to collaborate with other businesses and brands. And then you use those stickers in the stories, like the business tagging sticker or the location sticker, so that other businesses and brands and people can see that when you tag it. Great question. Okay, next question. What's the one assumption people make about small towns that makes your blood boil? This is a good one. Um, actually, this just happened to me this morning. I know I was like, Ugh. oh, I know what it was. So I was reading an article from like a national news source and they were talking about how people do things on the coast and then they're like, well, what are all these people in between the coasts doing? And talking about like how backwards we are and not saying it in so many words. But just saying like, well, they're not doing what the coasts are doing. And obviously the coasts are right and the people in this middle area is wrong. And I'm like, that is just so frustrating because there's like, mm, I should research this before I go spouting off. But I would love to know a breakdown. And I'm going to Google this. If you can hear my keys typing in the background, I am Googling population breakdown of the United States coasts versus interior. Okay. As of 2014, nearly 40% of the population lived in counties on the coast. So that means that 60% of the people live away from the coast, maybe. So like half-ish, all right? So what makes my blood boil about small towns <laughs> is how we are interpreted because we are like, and I'm generalizing, like obviously there's small towns along the coast, right? But there's just this general like consensus in the news that if you're not in a city metro area, particularly if those areas are not on the east or the west coast, then you're not like up with it. You don't know how things are. And the reality that you're living is not reality. It's some like former way of life that's like antiquated and that just really drives me nuts <laughs> and I'm like you know what we do have like internet access here you know what I kind of prefer this way of life so maybe I shouldn't go spouting off because it is like I do like the slow way of life I don't want all these people to like infiltrate our small towns but I'm just saying that obviously in sarcastic tones but I just, it does make me crazy that there is a large percentage of this country that chooses to live rural and chooses to live in small towns. And it's not forced upon every single person that lives in these locations like it is sometimes made out to be in Lifetime movies and news articles and things like that. There is a lot of us who choose this way of life because it is a little slower paced, because it does afford us wide open spaces safety and places to raise our kids. Um, we have green grass. We have trees. We have animals. We have the way of life that allows our kids to learn this like hard work and like working with your hands and things like that. And even though it might seem crazy to these coastal areas where they're a little more urban or they are a little bit more, I don't know, like just so population dense maybe is what I'm looking for. 
that it's hard to imagine living life this way. But we're not all just like driving around on tractors and chewing on like a piece of wheat when we're walking down the street, you know. So I guess the thing that really makes my blood boil is that we are seen in small towns as being backwards or not up to modern times by the large majority of the like modern pop culture that's put out there. I really do think that there are a large percentage of us that are growing businesses in small towns. And that's the whole reason this podcast was founded, because we are deserving of attention. We are deserving of being taken seriously and being considered as potential big name brands. And I really do think that the advent of the internet and social media has allowed us to level the playing field for those of us who still want to live in these small towns and these rural areas, but grow our businesses at the same time. And I guess I don't need to go like proving that to anybody. I guess we'll just let our work prove it for ourselves, right? Okay, next question. Is there a way to avoid fake accounts being created when doing a giveaway? Dang it, those darn hackers. So if you guys aren't aware, in like, I would probably say the last six months or so, anytime businesses have conducted giveaways over on Instagram, like within a matter of hours, it seems, there are fake accounts being created that are very similar to the name of the account that is in operation. So for example, let's say that my Molly Knuth Media page decided to do a big giveaway ahead of the holidays or something. And I announced that I have this big giveaway. I give the terms of the giveaway, what's included, how long it's going to run, all that stuff in an Instagram post. Within a few hours, there might all of a sudden be a new account that pops up. But instead of at Molly Knuth Media, it might be like at Molly.Knuth.Media. That is a hacker account, but it looks almost legit because it's very similar. And they would probably use the same profile picture as me, but they start sending direct messages to potential customers and people who follow my real page saying, hey, I want you to follow me over here. Or hey, you won, give me your credit card information and I will transfer money to your account. Never, ever, 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 ever trust those kind of messages. You will never be asked by legit business owners for their credit card information because legit business owners will likely have a payment processing option like that you've heard of before, PayPal or um, an ACH train. I don't know. There's just a whole bunch of other ways. But you can usually tell when these giveaways have been hacked because it's not the exact name. There's like an extra dash or underscore or period included somewhere. And they ask you for some kind of weird piece of information that a business owner usually wouldn't ask you for unless you had initiated a purchase. So in regards to this question, I don't know how you can prevent that. What I would do is just educate your audience about what's happening. So as soon as you announce a giveaway, I would also maybe show up in stories or even in the caption of the original giveaway post, put some kind of asterisk there and say, we've been having some issues along with other small businesses where fake accounts are getting created after a giveaway is posted. Please know that there are no other pages that are going to be created with a similar name as ours and do not trust messages from these accounts. So I would just like preemptively warm up your audience, let them know that this happens sometimes. And I think that as we educate more and more people about how these hackers are conducting business and how they are targeting accounts that are doing giveaways, 
as long as we educate our audience, I think that will kind of word will spread about that. And then we will see those kind of hacker pop-up accounts begin to dwindle because as with any kind of hacking scheme, it seems like once there is more awareness as a society or by the public, then it's not as lucrative for the hackers themselves. And the draw is kind of gone and then they don't do it as much anymore. So I would just say educate your audience a lot. And especially during before and during the giveaway, just educate your audience repeatedly that you're not going to be asking for sensitive information. You are not going to be creating any alternate accounts. And that if these do pop up, don't trust them and even go as far as reporting these accounts as fake to Instagram so they get taken down. All right, next question. What do you do when you notice your reach or your engagement is dropping? Oh, you guys. Okay, so with the recent Facebook outage that happened in the beginning of October, ever since then, Facebook and Instagram have been very glitchy um, for a lot of different reasons and in a lot of different ways. But one way that I've noticed a lot is in the reporting of the metrics. So all of a sudden, I might have a post that has two or three shares on it. I've got a handful of likes and comments. And typically, I know and I have a general idea of what kind of reach that would get for my clients. So some of my clients that have smaller followings, they might average a 150 to 250 reach per post. But if we got shares on that, then it would probably drive that number up to around 500 in reach. But since that outage, I've noticed that my posts, even if they do get shares, are reporting that they've reached like 16 people or 50 people. And that is way, 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 way abnormally low, particularly if there are shares on the post. Like that has just got to be wrong. And I notice that when I am doing like a larger view of insights, so let's say I log into my insights on the back end of Facebook and I'm looking at like my monthly statistics, I will notice that over the month or the last 30 days, let's say, for example, I have a reach of 16,000 accounts. But if I total up the reach on my top five posts, I have like a reach of 25,000. So there are a lot of inconsistencies happening right now in the way your numbers are reported. So I would say when you see those insights dipping, if they seem abnormally low in really like digging in and critically thinking about like, did you get shares? Did you get comments? But they're still seeming low, then it could be a glitch. So just really be a critical thinker and always identify that there is a probability and a possibility that the numbers are reporting in error. Um, I've noticed this is happening more on Facebook than on Instagram. But if you notice that things are trending lower, which I would say since the beginning of 2020 on Facebook in particular, numbers are trending down. Reaches are dwindling and tightening up. So there are a few things that you can do if you're noticing a trend downward instead of like a sudden drop that doesn't really seem in line with your averages. So if you're noticing a consistent, like you're kind of leveling off or even falling in your engagement and your reach and you want to build that back up, what I would recommend are two things. Number one, digging into the posts that you've created and asking yourself seriously, if I saw this in my newsfeed by another account, would I engage? And typically, if I notice like a dwindling in my account or clients that I'm responsible for, 
if I ask myself that question and I'm being honest, I'm probably going to say, you know what? No, maybe I created a Canva graphic that wasn't as eye-catching as it could have been. Maybe I opted to put out a graphic when I should have like done a picture or created a video. That would have been better. So I first asked myself, like, is there a way that I could make this content better? Is there a format that I could have changed this up for? Do I need to like adjust my approach? Do I need to get a fresh perspective? And a lot of times, you know, just like in the course of history, things are circular, right? So when Facebook started and we began seeing small businesses adopt this trend of um, social media marketing, things that took off were just like the simple things. So asking questions, putting out very simple text-based posts, using candid photos instead of professionally branded ones. Over on Facebook, that kind of started the trend and then we evolved into Canva and professionally done photos and professionally shot videos. And while those are still useful, I have noticed in the last year that when I go back to basics, when I go into like just asking simple questions that are really geared toward getting my audience perspective, getting them to talk, getting their insights. And when I use pictures of people that they recognize, even if they aren't professionally shot, those are the kind of posts that people are looking for on Facebook. And those are the ones that are getting more attention on my pages. So when you're looking at your numbers, like we said, if you're trending down, ask yourself seriously if the content you're producing is quality content or if it's a little stale. And then how can you freshen that up and be like very serious with yourself and very straightforward. And then maybe you need to just not think so hard about the content. Maybe you need to go back to basics for a little bit. The other thing you can do to help increase that traffic is by running some targeted ads. So every so often, especially if I have a client or myself who wants to launch something new or really are driving towards a particular product or service or hiring, you know, just gaining awareness, I don't necessarily recommend running ads all the time on Facebook and Instagram, but I definitely see a benefit to running ads when the time is right. So for example, if I have, like I said, I'm launching a new product, it might make sense to run a short-term campaign and you can choose the budget of your ads. So they can be as little as a dollar a day. You choose how much you want to spend, how long you want to run the ad, and then you set it up. So you can do that when you're launching something new. Or I also do have some clients where we want to get more people on their email list. So we might run an ad campaign on Facebook where our goal is to get people signed on to their email list. And then we will just run that mid-month for five or seven days for a minimal budget. And when you have clear objectives in your marketing and you know exactly what you want to happen, then it makes a lot of sense to run ads. I don't recommend just for small businesses to always be running ads in the background or just spending ad money to spend ad money. I think you need to be really strategic. I think you need to have an objective when you run your ads. And then you need to build the ads around what you want your audience to do, whether it's get on that email address, book your services, um, head to your website, but just be specific about what your ads are going to help you accomplish and make sure you're measuring if you actually achieved those goals so you know if your money was spent well or not. And then that way you can adjust for that in the future. Okay, I hope that helped. So when you notice your reach or engagement is dipping, like look at your content, see if it needs to get freshened up. And then also 
run some ads if you feel like you have specific objectives that you want to accomplish. What are your goals for 2022 in your business? Do your goals include increasing sales? How about improving customer service? Starting an email list? Launching that new idea? Or maybe finally understanding social media algorithms? Friends, you are not alone. Molly Knuth Media's signature marketing education program for small town, small business owners is relaunching in January 2022 to help you reach your goals next year. We'll work together for 12 weeks to better understand marketing for your business, how to market your services and products across a variety of digital platforms, and the tools and resources that you'll need to help make this process more efficient and more effective. If you'd like to be the first to know about our winter MKM social school details, be sure to get on our waitlist at tinyurl.com slash mkmsocialschool. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash mkmsocialschool to be the first to know the details for the winter MKM social school. I hope to see you there. Ooh, this is a good question about my personal life. What are your best morning and evening routines? So my morning and my evening routines used to look like getting up every day around 5.15, 5 o'clock. I would have my clothes set out so I could go downstairs and do my workout. I'd work out with Sweat Inspire Sisterhood for like 30 to 40 minutes. Then I'd go through like getting myself ready, getting the kids ready, getting them off to school. And then at nighttime, we would kind of do that in reverse, whereas like we'd clean up dishes. We'd probably watch a show. We'd put everybody to bed. I would sweep the kitchen floor. I'd set out everybody's clothes so we know what everybody's wearing. Like the night before, we make sure we know what's on the calendar for the next day. I set out water bottles or anything the kids need to take along with them to school. And then I go to bed. I would say in the last couple of months, I've had to kind of reassess and regroup because, and I know a lot of you are feeling that way too, that like just, I think with the pace of change in our lives and adjustments that we've had to make in the last couple of years, I was finding that I needed to like maybe change things up. And I think we do go through seasons where we are like, we just need to sleep in or we just need more sleep than we have in the past. So in particular, around like October-ish, I noticed that in the mornings, I wanted to sleep in a little bit more. So then my workout would start later and then it would kind of conflict with the kids needing to get up and ready for school and they needed to get up earlier because we now have chickens and they have to go take care of their chicken chores before school and they switched schools. So the new school starts a little bit sooner than their old school. So my schedule was getting later. The kids' schedule was getting earlier and what resulted was a lot of conflict in the mornings and I was short-tempered and grouchy and I was like, putting the kids, like making them go fast and like encouraging them to hurry, hurry, hurry so we can get to school. And then I was like, I was just grouchy. And I was like, I can't be sending my kids out into the world, into their school day with this feeling like mom's mad at them or with this feeling like I got to hurry up and get this done so I can go get the next thing done. I want them to feel like they can just be, I don't want to be late all the time, but like I also don't think I should have that pressure on their shoulders first thing in the morning. So I had to get real with myself and be like, all right, maybe I need to make a change. And I tried getting up earlier and I was still tired. So then what I found was like, I still want to get my workout in and not so much like that I'm 
I don't know, not so much that I'm driven to like achieve a certain physical size or anything like that, but just because I know how much better I feel mentally and like physically when I move my body. If I don't work out for like a few days, I am foggy, I am groggy, I am grouchy, and my stomach's not right. And so I just know that to be at my best, I need to move my body 30 minutes a day. So I tried getting up earlier, that wasn't going. And what I found was that I was doing really well if I could do a mid-afternoon workout. And then with my workout schedule, or with my work schedule, excuse me, that wasn't always achievable. So then I just do my workout at night. But all this is to say that I used to have a pretty strict daily routine. Right now, my routine is kind of in flux. I know what I need to do each day to make myself feel and perform at my best, but I'm still working through a season where I don't exactly know what those routines look like and what time that's going to happen. I've been more flexible about when I get my workout in. I've been more flexible about like, especially on work from home days, do I need to do my makeup? No. Do I need to do my hair? Probably not. Am I going to wear jeans today? Sometimes I do. But I'm just like kind of approaching things with like, we're just going to allow right now. So I still do at nighttime like to lay out everybody's clothes. We are transitioning into more kids chores, which has been super helpful because my kids are older now. So they can contribute a little bit more to household chores and animal chores. So that has helped. And we always do go to bed with things prepped for the next day. If I don't do that, I just feel really behind the next morning. And then we have grouchy mom again. So I guess all that is to just say that I'm kind of in a state of flex. But what I would recommend to you is like maybe tapping into how you're feeling in the morning and in the evening. Maybe like me, you had a plan, but now you found yourself feeling differently about that plan or not showing up in a way you want to. And it does take a lot of time, kind of like what I said about knowing that I need to move my body 30 minutes a day. Like I didn't realize that the first week of working out in back in 2015 when I began to get regular with my fitness. But that's something that I've realized about myself over the years. And if I'm feeling off, I can typically look back and say, oh, this is why. Maybe I fell off the wagon or maybe I need to change up what I'm doing. Like if I do too many long walks in a week, I can tell my body needs a strength session. Or if I'm doing too much cardio in a week, I know that I need to do like a lower body workout or something and have some variety. But that's my personal preference. Yours is going to look different. It's going to sound different. But it's just knowing your body, identifying what those things are that help you perform and feel at your best, and then figuring out ways to make that happen. Guys, we have even more questions. I told you, you guys showed up. All right, so next question. Ways to get people in small towns excited for change and growth. This is a big one. So um, I've been involved in a few different committees and projects that are aimed around change and our small town in particular. So all of these examples are just going to be my unique experience. I don't have a great breadth of experience in small town change across the board, but just in mine. So what I've noticed is that if you want change to happen and if you want people to get excited about it, you need to get buy-in from the community members. And this isn't just buy-in from people that look and sound and are of the same age and orientation and background as you. You need to really work to get a lot of different age groups and a lot of different perspectives 
involved in the discussions, the like preliminary efforts that you're putting together. So maybe your exploratory committees, you really reach out and you target people that are at high school level, that are young families, that are young single folk, that are maybe elderly folk, that are retirees. You want to have a good knowledge of what all of these age groups think because you want to have buy-in from a majority of these age groups if you want to see this happen. And when you get these age groups all together, you are going to get a variety of opinions. Not everybody's going to think the same way that you do. I remember there was one meeting that a lot of us were so excited about. And we did have a great turnout to one of the initial meetings that was just an exploratory, like, let's get this idea out there kind of thing. And then we had an older gentleman come to the meeting and he's like, we did something like this 20 years ago. It didn't work then. It's not going to work now. And then he walked out of the meeting and it was like, okay, well, this is a different time and place. So we didn't really let it deter us, but it did kind of give us the insight that, okay, something like this had been attempted in the past. And there might be like some sour grapes feelings out in the community of people who remember these efforts because they didn't really have fruitful results. So we knew that we needed to kind of investigate what had gone on before and we needed to make sure that we saw this through. So the first thing is to get buy-in and get the perspectives of a variety of age groups, a variety of demographics and backgrounds, and get people in a variety of life lanes excited about this effort that you have, okay? The other thing I would really encourage people to do is get people together who are energetic but also that have staying with it power, okay? Because some of these committees that get formed, they are like one-year term or two-year term, and then the project is over. These other committees or organizations, they might be like four years in length or six-year terms, or there's even committees here that got formed just like by really generous, cool people in our town that they've served for like 20 years. So you need to also have people who are not only excited and energetic right away, but you also need to get people involved who you know are going to be the workers and that are going to like get shit done and stick with it until the project is finished because that's going to help you guys stay the course. And even if you get like lost along the way, you'll have a couple of people who are like, all right, guys, let's bring this back around. Let's right the ship and let's go forward. In some of the smaller, I also think you need to like identify what is like a smaller, like quick win and what is a long-term or bigger project that we want to accomplish. With those smaller quick wins, sometimes you can just do that with manpower and excitement and push through it without a lot of guidance. But with your bigger projects, like let's say you have a capital campaign that you want to renovate an entire church or you have like a large-scale streetscape you want to accomplish or you have like a big community organization drive that you want to endeavor on. Sometimes it makes sense to look into what's available and accessible to you in your region and get some coaching or some leadership from outside your community that will give you fresh perspective and help you stay the course as well. So for example, our community heart and soul effort in Cascade, we brought in a coach from the Community Heart and Soul Foundation We also had guidance from our Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque. And by having that coach, we knew the framework. We knew the next step. We didn't have to like sit around the table and say, well, what do we think we need to do? We had like a list of steps to accomplish. And we had a system that we knew was proven that we could follow. 
And then just like I talked about before, we had a coach who kept us righted. He gave us like clear expectations and gave us like timelines and finish lines and places we had to work towards. Because it is very easy for busy people in small towns who have families and jobs and they volunteer in a lot of different ways. It is easy to like lose sight sometimes because you're so overcommitted. But if you have a coach or you have that one person who is like really a great leader and will stand up and keep you in in check, then that keeps your whole group moving forward in the same direction. So those are my tips. Um, And then obviously I'm marketing the shit out of it, you guys. You have to make it exciting. You have to put some marketing dollars and efforts behind it. Find out those creative people in your community that are good with video, that are good with social media, that are good with graphic design, and figure out how you can bring those people together to help your effort look and sound fantastic and exciting and something that everybody wants to take part in. And know that it's going to be an investment of time, an investment of money, and a lot of sweat equity, but the result is going to be awesome. All right, two more questions, you guys. This is, it's kind of a two-parter, but from the same person. If you apply for a grant, can you keep reapplying? Looking for some female business ones. And then she followed that up with just in general questions about grant writing. I am obviously not um, a grant writing expert, but I do know some people who are well-versed in it. So when you are looking to apply to grants, there are a few places you can go. First up, I would go to your city. I would look at your city administrator and ask them about grants that they know of that would be available to you. Sometimes they know about like housing assistance grants or they might know about tax. It's called TIF, tax incremental financing. So like special plans that help you with your tax payments if you own property. Um, They might also know of some state level or federal level grants that your community and your location can apply for and are eligible for. So I would start there with your city administrator. Then, like for my area in Iowa, we can also work with organizations in the community next to us. So Dubuque, Iowa is a metro area, and they have some organizations like uh, ECIA, which is the East Central Iowa Intergovernmental Agency, and there are a whole host of resources at that nonprofit. They have grant writers. They have community developers. And our economic development works hand in hand with this ECIA organization, and they help us find grants for small towns or for specific efforts that we want to undertake. They also can help with things like when we wanted to build a new daycare center, they helped us set up the framework for our capital campaign fundraising. And we had a person from ECIA walk us through the steps of beginning and conducting large scale fundraising efforts. And that was so, so helpful to have someone like that. So look regionally as well to see if there are places, entities, nonprofits that specialize in this grant and financial securing. Um, There are also people who on an individual level you can refer to who maybe have written grants for themselves, who maybe have helped the nonprofits that they are part of with the grant writing process. And they could help you and give you some advice and guidance as well. And they might know of additional state or federal level grants that are available. So I guess this is all to say you kind of work your network, 
but you also think about like your hierarchy of where you belong. So think like city, county, region, state, federal, and kind of just do some research and some outreach via email or phone call. And eventually you will get connected to some really great leads. Um, personally, I did ask a friend who I know that has experience. She's, she made sure to tell me she's not a grant writing expert, but she has written grants in the past. <laughs> so I want to put that out there. Um, but she's my friend, Melissa. She was actually a guest on the podcast a few episodes ago, Melissa Nelson of Hungry Canyon. And she said that to answer our question in particular, if you can reapply for a grant, um, she, Melissa did say, it depends on the grant. And if you've won it once, you probably are not eligible to win it again. But if you did not get granted the funds that you applied for, and there are no particular like caveats on the submission form that say you cannot reapply, then go ahead and reapply and just try. And then Melissa did say that you guys can reach out to her. She's at Hungry Canyon on Facebook and Instagram if you have particular questions about grant writing. Again, she said she is not an expert, but she has written a fair share of grants in the past, so she would be a much better resource than I would. And then also look for your intergovernmental agencies or your community foundations in your area. And then I would, I would venture to bet that there are people there who could help you in your local areas as well if you're interested in securing grants. All right, last question. You guys were awesome. So last question. How do I hire a VA? So a VA is a virtual assistant, and we have an episode all about virtual assistants. I will make sure to link to it in the show notes, but it's with my virtual assistant here at Molly Knuth Media, and her name is Megan Knapp. Um, I believe it was from like June 2021 is when we had the episode with Megan. But one thing that you want to consider when you are looking for a VA is, do I know that I need the help from a VA? Because a VA is a virtual assistant, so they can do a whole host of tasks that you pass along their way. So you're ready, you feel like you are overwhelmed, you have too much on your plate, you want to outsource some of it. And so a VA might be a good option if you have a variety of tasks and you just need someone helping you get them done. A VA works as an independent contractor with you, so they are not your employee. They are not subject to come to your location. They do not necessarily use your tools. They do not necessarily show up on a schedule that you determine because they are independent contractors. A VA is a virtual assistant is someone who works from their location. They help you achieve the tasks and the goals that you have, but they can kind of work at their own pace and prioritize in their own way. And then there are VAs who specialize in different things. So you might have a VA who is really adept and loves social media, but you might also come across a VA who doesn't prefer social media. You might have a VA who really loves spreadsheets and crunching numbers and helping with payroll. And you might have people who are like, oh, that's not my specialty. So you're going to have different VAs who feel like they excel in certain areas of administrative duties, and they might not take on jobs or projects that require them to do things that fall outside of their expertise. So know that when you're looking for a VA. Um, the other things you might want to look at from when you're searching for a virtual assistant is determining if you want a virtual assistant who helps with a variety of tasks or if you could benefit from having someone who is an independent contractor that specializes in a certain field. So for example, do you need a VA or do you need a bookkeeping service? 
Do you need a VA or do you need a marketing consultant? Do you need a VA or do you need to bring on somebody part-time or full-time? So these are all different ways that you can get help in your business. I do 100% believe that for people who are out there running small businesses by themselves, bringing in a virtual assistant is going to be a game changer for you. It is going to really help you get more done in less hours. It's going to help you have a fresh set of eyes on what you're doing and they can offer fresh perspective. And I also do think that this is the way of the future. I really, really do think that VA work as it like as this idea gets more common in our small communities, that is going to be how administrative tasks get done. So I really do think VAs are the way of the future, but I just want you guys to know going into considering this that there are a bunch of options to weigh out when you're thinking about bringing a VA on board. And so when I was looking for, actually, I wasn't even looking. Megan reached out to me and said she had heard a little bit more about this virtual assistant opportunity and if I knew of anyone who would be interested in like having a VA on board. And I was like, actually, I would love it. And I know a lot of businesses who would. So then that's when we decided to bring Megan on board. And then as people reached out to her, we just were really straightforward and clear that like, here's what Megan is really good at and here's what she wants to do. And we are just starting out. So we're learning alongside you and know going in, it's going to take a little bit of time to establish a relationship and get things streamlined. It's not going to happen day one. It takes a few weeks or even a couple of months to really have that understanding with your VA because you are bringing someone into your business and a lot of your business is internalized and you need to learn how to hand off projects and explain tasks. and so. After a few weeks of working together, it'll be a little bit more instantaneous and you'll know each other's workflow and vibe and stuff like that. But as you are looking for a VA, just look out for those things. People who are specializing in what you need most, people who you think you can vibe with, people who you think are like a fresh set of eyes that will benefit you and your business and like help you reach the next level. And take all of that into account as an addition to just like somebody who is a virtual assistant and has space in their roster. So different VAs, just like different employees, are going to bring unique skills, unique personality traits to your business. And so if you're looking for a virtual assistant, I would say start with, you can reach out here at Molly Knuth Media, or you can reach out to my VA, Megan, at Megan Knapp, K-N-A-P-P-V-A on Instagram. And if we don't have capacity, We have started kind of knowing who in the area are virtual assistants as well or beyond the area in the region. And we can kind of connect you to other people who do virtual assistant work. And then we can refer you to people who might be a good fit. Uh, As always, you can always just search on Instagram too, like hashtag VA or hashtag virtual assistant, and you will find a whole list of people. There are also Facebook groups out there for people searching for virtual assistants. So make sure to utilize those tools as well. Phew, that was a long one, you guys. I feel like I ran a marathon, but thank you for all of your insightful questions. I think those were so great. I love Mailbag because it allows me to answer the questions that you guys have. And I might not have all the answers, but typically I have friends who are way smarter and have way more experience than I do. So we can bring their expertise in as well. But thank you guys. I hope this was a fun, insightful episode for you. And I'll be back next week with even more. 
Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived being small-minded.